Yes, Ms. Patty. We're in 1 Samuel 18.10. 1 Samuel 18.10. Miss Patty said she's been reading through uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, and she's asking about 1 Samuel 18.10. Go ahead. So, of course, what is, when we say an evil spirit, what is an evil spirit? A, a demon. What else? What is an evil spirit? What is a demon? A fallen angel, right? They're the fallen angels, okay? Um, they are part of that third of the angels that the Bible tells us that followed Lucifer in trying to rebel against God. Right, so you have these fallen, uh, these fallen angels. Who is over the fallen angels? Satan is. Right, Satan is, is in charge of the fallen angels. Just like when we read in Scripture, we find even obviously God's angels. There is um, there is a uh, I don't know if the word hierarchy is the right word, but there is a order of angels. Right, um, and even in Satan's fallen angels, there's an order, right? Uh, we find that there are some that are greater than others, right, in, in that realm, that spiritual realm, okay? But even though, no matter that Satan is over these angels, and in fact, um, that's, that's really what Job is all about in Job chapter 1, right? Um, if you go to Job chapter 1, in Job chapter 1, In verse number six, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down it. Right? So you have Satan. This is Lucifer. And what is Satan, Satan having to do? He's having to explain himself. He's having to give a report of what he has done to God. Why? Because even though Satan is a, the fallen angel and he's the leader of all of the fallen angels, they're still under God. God still, they, they don't have greater power than God does. And, and this is, again, this is what's so amazing. And in our mind, we would think, well, if, if this is how it is, why how does Satan not understand this, right? Do you understand that before Satan can do anything to anyone, he has to get God's permission? Look what he says. The Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and sheweth evil? 
Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for not? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side that thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance and increase? But put forth now thine hand and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power only upon himself. Put not forth thine hand. Satan could not do anything to Job without getting God's permission first. Those that, those that belong to God, Satan does not have power just to do anything he wants to with them. He has to make sure, first of all, that it's okay with God. And this is what's, this is what's so amazing about it. So any, any, any difficulty, any trial, any temptation that Satan tries to bring into our life as a Christian, again, what is, what is our, fir- let's be honest here this morning, right? What is our natural first response when something difficult or bad or something horrible happens in our life, what is our first natural response? We complain. We complain. Not even stopping to realize that before any of this could happen, it had to go before God. And God had to allow it to happen. Now again, notice there is a limit to what he allowed Satan to do. He doesn't just give him free reign, carte blanche, you just say, okay, he's all yours, whatever. No, he says, okay, you can do that, but do not touch him. And then later, he had to come back again to God to report what was going on. And God says, okay, all right, now you can touch his body, but you cannot kill him. So everything that Satan wanted to do to Job, he had to get approval from God first. And then there was a limit to what he could do. Okay, And again, no doubt, <laughs> look, I, I don't think that Job understood everything that was going on. I don't, I, I don't think Job understood that there was this, I don't know if you call it a spiritual battle that was taking place where basically uh, Satan is saying, God, the only reason why uh, your children love you and follow you is because all, only good things happen. I mean, that's his accusation. The reason why Job loves you, God, is because you only let good things happen to him. You never let anything bad happen to him. Now, is that true? No, of course it's not true. You think this was the first time anything bad ever happened to Job? Of course not, right? But this is what, this is Satan's accusation to God in saying, all you do is let only good things happen to him. If you would let me have him, he would curse you. So God says, all right, I will allow you so much. You can do that, no more. And of course, we know the story, Job still did not curse God, right? Even when he touched his body and everything else, what did Job say? The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord, okay? So when we understand that even the fallen angels, even Satan himself, have to get permission to do anything from God, Again, they just don't have free course when we're talking about God's people, okay? So when we come back to 1 uh, Samuel chapter 18, right? 1 Samuel chapter 18, we have to ask ourselves a question. Is Saul one of God's people? I believe so. Now, I believe that Saul eventually goes astray, right? He turns away, he becomes more concerned about his own kingdom 
than about what God wanted to do with him. And so God removes him from being king. But I believe that Saul was one of God's people. And so what happens here is because of this, right, Saul's jealousy towards David and his envy of David now being anointed king and the love that Jonathan has for David. And it says in verse 10 uh, that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hands as the other times there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. So God can use evil spirits because they're still under his control. They still have to get the approval of God to do anything that they want to do, right? And so God can allow evil spirits to have, if we would say, not an influence, but an impact in a person's life, either to help them to draw closer to God or it pushes them farther away from God, okay? Um, now, again, we, we, can't, we can't determine, and, and please understand here, just because something bad happens to someone doesn't mean that that was the devil. Doesn't mean that that was Satan, okay? Things, bad things happen to people, again, we have to understand, it's life, okay? Bad things happen to good people, okay? Um, it doesn't mean that Satan is behind it and he's just trying to do everything. I mean, things, there are things that just happen, Okay? Um, but we do have to understand that God is behind it. And there, reason, there is a reason why God has allowed it to happen in our life. Whether it would be some type of sickness, whether it would be a death, whether it be a job loss or a family or whatever, God is allowing it to happen in our life. And so God is allowing this, uh, this evil spirit to work on, in Saul's life. Okay? Um, and, and even... even uh, Samuel said, Saul, if you would have just repented, God would have established the kingdom with you and your family forever. But because you would not, because you would not repent, you would not acknowledge your sin, you turned from God instead of turning to God, he said, God's taken the kingdom from you. So when it says here, talking about an evil spirit from God came upon Saul, again, don't, don't ever forget, God is still in control. Just because there are demonic spirits and just because there, you have the devil and Satan and Lucifer and all this, it doesn't mean that they, they get to just do whatever they want to do, right? Um, we're, when we're dealing with God's people, okay, they still have to come before God and, again, because we always say, you know, one day we're all going to give an account of ourselves to God, right? Well... They have to do that all the time. Again, remember what Job says? How, how many times did Satan come before God there? And just in that one chapter, there's like three different times Satan comes before God to give an account of what he's been doing. There's, and, and don't, don't misunderstand, it's not like God didn't know what, was doing, what he was doing. It's not like God had to have Satan come give an account because he wasn't aware of what was going on. Of course he's aware of what's going on. But God's wanting them to know, just like he wants us to know, hey, he knows what's going on, and one day we are going to have to give an account of it to, before God. And just as, as the, the fallen angels, hey, you made the decision to reject God, fine, but you're still under my power. 
and you still have to come before me and you still have to give an account of what you're doing. And that's why even when you look at um, when Jesus was obviously physically here on the earth, I mean, you had legion, you had a multitude of others that were demon-possessed. And what did they say? We know who you are. And as soon as Jesus said, leave, what'd they do? They left. Why? Because he has power. They, they, are, they are submissive. They have to be obedient to what God says. Now, did they make a choice to rebel? Yes. But that still means they still have to obey what God says. When God says leave, they have to leave. Does that make sense? All right. Anybody else have a question or comment or anything about that? Sure, yeah. Uh, talking about where Jesus says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation, can we apply that to our lives today? Obviously, sure, yes. Um, because it's very easy for Christians to stray away from God, right? Um, there, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, I think specifically in context, again, when you, if you look in context there, what he was talking about was right there dealing with that particular time. But yes, it is important that, and, and he tells us other times, right? Um, be sober, and Peter says, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, walk without bow as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, right? So there's multiple times where he says, hey, you better be aware, you better be on guard, you better be understanding, because the devil is going to do whatever he can to try to destroy you, okay? Um, and that's why as we go through those trials and difficulties and things, and we look to God, and we have the right attitude and the right understanding, then what happens is our faith is able to be increased. Our faith is stronger, right? Again, that's why when you think about Job, I don't think that was the first difficulty that Job had ever gone through. I think there are many difficulties that he had gone through that had built his faith so that when something like this happened, he was able to still look to God and say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It wasn't just this was the first time, right? Um, and so, yeah, I believe as he was faithful in the smaller things, those difficulties, um, then when this came, he was able to be faithful in it. Right, yes. Right. Right. Yeah, he's saying in 1 Kings 22, there's also that, that lying spirit when it talks about um, with Ahab and uh, who is it? Um, Jehoshaphat, is it Jehoshaphat? Yeah, Jehoshaphat. Um, and God says, who will go? Um, and there's a lying spirit. Yeah, again, it's not that the spirit became a lying spirit. No, he's, it's, it's a fallen angel that's um, already a lying spirit. The same thing like what we were just looking at in Samuel. That evil spirit didn't just become an evil spirit. It was already an evil spirit, right? It's one of those that, that fell. Brother Richie? Not to possess them, no. No, a, an evil spirit cannot possess. Like Christians cannot be demonic, demon-possessed or, um, you know, we cannot, uh, uh, again, because 
who is, who is living inside of us? The Holy Spirit is. Jesus Christ is, right? And so you cannot have the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and a demonic spirit living together, right? That you either have one or you have the other. So, and that's one of the reasons why we know as Christians, when the Bible tells us that, uh, that we have eternal life, that we can, you know, we're never going to lose the Holy Spirit. We are sealed under the day of redemption. So a, a Christian can never be demon-possessed, right? Now, a lost person can, somebody who doesn't know the Lord can, but a Christian can be oppressed, right? There is oppression, okay? Um, and and that, can take, that can take many different forms and things like that where there is oppression and things. But for a Christian to be uh, possessed by a demonic spirit is not possible, that would mean that that demonic spirit is greater than God, that he was able to remove God from our life, and now he now indwells in us. And that's just not possible, right? Um, again, Christians can be oppressed by demonic spirits and by evil things. Um, and of course, you know, the world and the devil definitely tries to oppress us, okay? But we can never be possessed by them. Yes. Right. I have to remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not indwell someone permanently. Okay. So the Holy Spirit could come and leave. And that's why the Holy Spirit had already left Saul. Right. Um, and so that's why, yes, you can find this evil spirit coming upon Saul. But in the New Testament, that, again, that's one of the differences in New Testament and Old Testament is now the Holy Spirit permanently indwells the believers now, where, again, we cannot lose the Holy Spirit, okay? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not come upon everyone who was a believer, right? Not every believer had the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, in fact, when you look throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came uh, mostly upon them for specific things, right? Like for leadership, like Moses, right? Uh, like Samson for strength, uh, like David and Saul for leading, right? But not everybody who was a Jew or everybody who believed in God was indwelt by the Holy Spirit, right? And so that's where Jesus talks about, he said this comforter is going to come and he's going to abide in you, he's going to live in you. And so that's why as Christians today, we have something that the Old Testament saints did not have not only do we have the complete word of god but we have the indwelling of the holy spirit that can never leave us okay and that's why he says we can know right paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord okay not because we're any better than those in the old testament no i mean god loves them just as much as he loved us but now in the new testament he's just working in a different way through the church right and so um again that's why he, you know, we, can, we know we can, never, uh, we can never lose that salvation because the Holy Spirit's living in us. But I believe even though there was that demonic spirit that came upon Saul, I still believe Saul was a child of God. I still believe that he had, he had put his faith in God. Did he go away from God? Yes, right? Um, but again, as, as, as far as I can tell from what Scripture tells us, one day when we get to heaven, King Saul will be there. Again, that's, that, that's, that's what I believe Scripture teaches. Um, so, but yes, so a, a Christian today cannot be possessed. Mm -hmm. Yep. Anybody else? 
That's a good question. Yeah, Tom? question. So Tom is saying, so if a child, when they're younger, accepts Christ as their Savior, but they never show any fruit, they never have any desire for the things of God, and even, you know, to this day, you know, now as an adult, there is no desire for God, um, whatever, is, is that person saved? good question right is that person saved is emily okay yep there was somebody else back here were they ever truly saved right something Right. Yeah, there's, there's a difference between profession and possession. That's a good way, to, good way to point it out. If a child... Um, so let's say that... Um, let's just say, for example, right? We just had our vacation Bible school. And we have kids come, and a child comes, and they hear the gospel and they get saved, or they make a profession, right? They, we talk to them, they say, yes, I, I understand I'm a sinner, and yes, um, I wanna accept Jesus as my savior, and they do. From what we can tell, they do. But they go home, and the parents, and maybe are not Christian, and they, do not, they don't want their kids coming to church, um, and so because of that, this child grows up in an environment that really knows nothing about God, nothing about church, nothing about the Bible, none of those different things. And so they grow up without those things. Is, is that teenager, is that young adult, is that adult, are they saved? I would say yes. Um, and again, I, I, obviously I think what Miss Emily said is, is the most important thing. You can't know their heart but if that, if that child truly did accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, right, again, salvation is not, and, and we, we really have to be careful because salvation is not based upon our works, right? We believe that, right? We're not saved because of our works. Works come after salvation, okay? So maybe, maybe, let, me, maybe let me say it this way. You have a child that is born in a hospital. That child has a mother and a father, right? That child is born. That mother and father that were involved in that, that produced that child. But that father really wants nothing to do with the child. The mother realizes that she cannot raise the child. And so maybe she gives the child up for adoption. And... A loving family comes in and they, they take that child and they raise that child. And of course, 
um, you know, that, those parents become mom and dad to them. But who is the parents of that child? The ones that adopted them are not the biological parents. Now, they're the ones that have taken that child into their home and raised that child and loved that child. And yes, they can say, this is my child. And the child can say, this is my mom and dad. But in reality, it is the dad and mom that were involved that, in producing that child. So you can take the child away from the parents or whatever the situation might be, but that never changes the fact that those two people are the biological parents of that child, okay? And in the same way, when a person, maybe a young person accepts Jesus as their savior and they are, could we say, not brought up in a loving home, they're not brought up in a, in a home that, you know, teaches them about God and, um, and so they go astray. Um, but yet, there was a time when they truly understood and they accepted Christ as their Savior. Are they still God's child? I would say yes. Again, if, if, that, if in their heart they truly believed and accepted Christ. I would think, and again, I, I, I cannot say this for certainty, but I would think that as that child grows, that again, the Holy Spirit is living in that child. Right? If, a, if any person that accepts Jesus as their Savior, the Holy Spirit is living in them. Okay? So as that child grows, I would think that as the Holy Spirit is living in them, there's going to be some type of pull. There's going to be some type of yearning in their life to hopefully draw them to, to the Lord. Not for salvation, but to that relationship with the Lord. Okay? But again, if it, you, we don't know the circumstances of the child. Now, if somebody just makes a profession, prays a prayer, but in their heart they truly never really believed, then no, of course that person's not saved, right? Um, and so again, I think it definitely goes back to, um, is it just a profession or did they truly possess, did they really understand and accept Christ as their Savior? Because again, once a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, can they ever lose their salvation? No, they cannot ever lose their salvation. And so then it doesn't matter if that child is raised in a, in a home that doesn't know anything about God or anything like that. If they truly accepted Christ, then they're a child of God. Um, obviously, it'd be great for that child to, to grow and great for that child to know the Lord and have a relationship with him. But again, it's not, it's not whether the child grows into what we would say spiritual maturity that determines whether that child is saved or not. You say, well, what about the verse that says, by their fruit ye shall know them? I, I understand that verse, right? God does say, by their fruit ye shall know them, okay? Um, and, and there ought to be fruit in the life of a Christian, okay? And as a Christian is growing, there is going to be fruit that is gonna be produced. There should be fruit that is produced, okay? Um, but I think when you, when you bring that scenario, you're talking about two different circumstances. If a child gets saved in church, and they grow up in church, and 
they're in church all their life, as a teenager, as a young adult, and all of a sudden they just, they walk away from God. They said, well, I never, I never believed, I never, that, that's, that's a different scenario there. there. There ought to be some fruit in that person's life if they really did know the Lord, right? Um, I mean, if they're growing up in church and they're around the word of God and they're around the things of God, there ought to be some fruit in their life. I'm not saying how much, but there ought to be some type of fruit in their life because the ground is being fertilized, the water, it's raining on it. You know, there's, there's going to be some type of growth there. And if not, if there is no growth, if there is no fruit that's being produced, then that really makes us question, is this just a profession, Right? That they just do this because they saw their friend said a prayer, and so they said a prayer too, right? Um, did they just do this because they knew mom and dad really wanted this to happen, and so they did it, okay? Um, and so I, I, I don't think that there is a, I don't think that there's a specific answer that you can give for different scenarios. I think you have to look at each scenario and say, you know, what really is the heart? Um, if the heart truly, if a person truly accepted Jesus as their Savior, then, then there's no doubt that they cannot lose their salvation. Mm-hmm. Tom? He was raised in a Christian family, and he left as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Doesn't the Bible also say that if you don't bear fruit, you're a dead branch, and you'll be broken off and set afire? Yeah, I mean, um, in John chapter 15, it talks about the vine and the branches, and the, the branches that don't bear fruit, they're going to be cut off. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the passage, he's not talking about losing salvation. There's not a loss of salvation. Um, but if, again, if you think about it, what he's saying is, if a branch is not going to bear fruit, then what's the point of it still remaining in the branch? Right? God's not going to continue just keep blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing and blessing if the branch isn't going to produce any fruit. Right? So what happens? God removes the blessing from them. God takes his hand off them. They're not, they don't lose their salvation but there's not going to be any, if we could say, because what is it that produces the fruit? It's not even the branch that produces the fruit. It's the vine. The vine is what produces the fruit, right? The branch is just a channel for the fruit to grow on, okay? And so the food and everything is coming from the vine. The food doesn't come from the branch. It comes from the, from the vine, right? And so as if the food is being given and the food is being given and the food is being given and there's no growth, then he says, I'm going to stop giving food, right? It's going to be cut off, okay? Um, and so God will simply remove his hand from their life. There's, there's, God's not going to be working. They've seared the Holy Spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit's there, but they're not listening to him. And so there's no need for God to continue working if they're not going to, they're not going to do anything. Um, and unfortunately, I believe there's a lot of Christians that that happens to. Um, God just says, okay, I'm, I'm done, right? Um, I mean, you're still my child, and I still love you, but you're not doing what I've asked you to do, and I've tried, 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 and you're not doing anything, so you're on your own. But again, if a person has accepted Christ as their Savior, again, we're talking biblical salvation. We're not just talking about one, two, three, repeat after me a prayer, right? Um, we're talking biblical salvation. They've truly understood that they're saved, that, that they're a sinner and they need to be saved and they have accepted Christ as their savior. Um, yes, God desires for that person to grow. Um, 
But if that person does, does not, because of circumstances or whatever, do they lose their salvation? I don't think so. Not, not according to Scripture. Okay? Um, and again, I, I, there's, there's a lot of different scenarios you can come up with. You know, I mean, everybody can come up with a scenario. What about this or what about that? But we have to just go back to Scripture. What does Scripture say? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if that person truly accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're saved. From that point, they're saved. Now, do we want them to grow? Yes. Do we want them to bear fruit? Yes. There's no doubt about that. But the fundamental question is, is are they still saved? And if they truly accepted Christ, nothing can change that. Mm-hmm. Sammy? Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes we look for growth before they're even born. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, again, they've, they've, the first part is being born again, right? And, and again, think about it. Are there Christians that have, that have been saved and they have produced fruit, they've grown, and then they turn away from God? And they, they walk away. Yes. Are they still saved? I'm sure they are, right? Um, again, it, it, yes, God wants them to produce fruit. Yes, there is a desire for growth in their life that God has for them. But nothing can ever change. Again, we're talking if they truly accepted Christ as their Savior. We're not just talking about if they come to church. We're not just talking about if they've been baptized. We're talking about if they've truly been born again and accepted Christ. There's nothing that can ever change that. All right? Yeah. Right. You can't give them the gospel. Yeah. Because we don't know their heart. Right. One way or another. Mm-hmm. God says they they went out that it might be made manifest that mm-hmm. they were not. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the thing. You, you know, we we don't know their heart, right? Only only they do. Um, and and yeah, if a person you know turns away and they say, well, I well, I was saved, you know, I, but but I just you know. I don't believe anymore. Well, either they really are saved or they really weren't saved. It's not that they were and now they lost it. No, either they were or they weren't. And if they were, God's going to work in their life and we need to pray for them. If they weren't, they need to be saved, right? Um, and so, yeah, that's what he says there. They, they went out from us because they were not of us, right? Brother John? I was going to say, 
<laughs> uh, that's a good question. How old is it when a child really feel like, realizes that they are a sinner? I don't think there's a set age. Um, I think that's going to determine on the child themselves. Um, you know, I have to be very careful. Um, obviously, as Christians, we want, we want people to get saved, right? There's no doubt about that. And sometimes we want them to get saved so much that we can, we can talk them into something without them understanding what they're doing. And, and I think sometimes that's what happens with children. They want to please mom and dad or they want to please people and so we can talk them into something without them really understanding i'm not saying that you know I, i've heard testimonies of people that they say hey i know i got saved when i was four years old great praise god but i don't know that there's a lot of four-year-olds that could really understand at four again i'm not saying they didn't get saved i'm just saying you know there's not a lot of four-year-olds that are really going to understand that. Um, you know, um, I, I think just personal experience, I don't think any of my kids have ever really come talking about salvation before they were like six or seven. Um, you know, and again, it's, it's going to be different for every child. Um, you know, there's... There could be a six-year-old, a seven-year-old that really understands, or it might be they're eight or nine before they understand, or 10 or 11. Um, I, I don't think there's, we talk about the age of accountability. What is the age of accountability? I don't think there's a specific age. Um, I think it's, it's individual with the child. Um, now, obviously, you want to teach them when they're young. You're preparing their hearts, right? You're helping them understand. Um, but I, I really think that sometimes we, we talk our children into it more than in letting it be their decision. Um, and you, you've heard me say this before many times when my kids have come and said, you know, dad, you know, they're six, seven years of age. Dad, I want to get saved. Um, I tell them, tell me, tell me tomorrow. You say, well, how cruel is that? They want to get saved. Lead them to the Lord right then. Well, I, I'm glad they do. But again, I want to make sure they really understand I don't want to just talk them into something. And if they don't come back tomorrow, then did they really, really fully understand? Was it just something they heard in Sunday school and somebody else got saved? They did it. Um, and, and I've seen it happen where, you know, I've said that, you know, they come and talk to me and say, Dad, I want to get saved. I'll say, well, talk to me tomorrow. And they'll come back tomorrow. And they said, Dad, I want to get saved. And I'll say, talk to me tomorrow. And they'll come back in, Dad, I want to get saved, talk to me tomorrow. Until finally they understand, Dad, I can't talk to you tomorrow. I have to do this today. This is something that I've got to get settled now. Um, and again, I'm not trying to be callous or anything. I'm just trying to help us to realize we have to be careful not to just talk them into something without them really fully understanding it. And that's why even with our children's ministries and things, we always tell our teachers, be very, very careful when talking to children about the gospel. Um, because it's not just about saying a prayer now if they don't understand the prayer doesn't save them so but i don't think there's a specific age it's going to depend on the child yeah absolutely 
I mean, as much as possible to try to help them and make sure they understand as much as possible. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But again, somebody can have all the right answers and still not really understand what they're doing. Um, you know, and so again, that's where we have to, we have to let the Holy Spirit do his job. We're not the Holy Spirit. We don't save them. We're just trying to help them to understand how to be saved so that they'll put their faith in Christ. Um, and so, yeah, we have to do as best as we can to try to help them understand what salvation is all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. We got to stop there. We're already over a couple minutes and uh, we'll be dismissed and come back for our second service here in a second. All right. God bless you.